Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. No one's going to come and save you. No one's going to tell you what your worth is. Nobody. If you're lucky, you have some parents or some elders, you know, that will, that will remind you or tell you about your worth. And that becomes your foundation. But no one's going to tell you, hey, your, your, your stuff is underpriced. No one's going to tell you that. You need to establish that. And I already kind of hinted at it before. If people are interested in working with you, then they will find or work with the appropriate resources to make work with your priority. And for my coaching practice, sometimes I have a whole bunch of coaching clients. And sometimes I don't have that many. I have a smaller stable. But everyone involved, number one, wants to be involved. Number two, the people that are coming through actually have skin in the game. Because that's reflective of my price as well. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Damon, welcome back to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, thanks. Thanks. As we were talking about offline, I should get like a you know, a fifth or sixth appearance jacket like SNL, you know? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know the budget for jackets, but maybe, you know, from now on, like, get the bottom of the album cover, we'll put like a little, you know, star or something like a banner that says five-time guests. You know? I, would, I, would, I, would, I would like that. I would like that. I'm a, bit, I'm a big music guy, so you, you, you're talking my language. Well, you tell me how you want to design. Now that I can use AI, I can just make that look exactly the way you want it to look. Um. Well, so you have a, a new book out called The Complete Bring Your Worth Collection, which is really a, a compilation of a lot of your previous books, which I've unfortunately read and many of which have led to our previous conversations. And I was trying to think back to like all the questions that I hadn't asked you. And maybe I had asked you this before. So I, you know, forgive me if I have, but um, I was thinking, given that we're going to be talking about the future of work uh, and, and sort of how to future proof ourselves, I wanted to start asking you, what was the very first job that you ever had? Uh, and what did Ooh. you learn from it? How did that impact what you ended up doing with your life? All right. So the first job I had um, off the books was, um, I was probably about 11 or 12, so a little bit older. I have two sons, 10 and 7. So I was probably a little bit older than my eldest son. 
And it was for something called Wolverine Security back in Lansing, Michigan, which is where I had my teenage years, pretty close to MSU, if you know colleges. And the, the basic gig was me and a handful of my friends um, being in the back of a pickup truck. And then they go and they would stop the truck, barely stop the truck. We'd hop out the back and then put on flyers, you know, little door flyers, with a little hanger, we, you know, you hang it on the thing mm-hmm. and uh, on the doorknob. And we'd hang it on the doorknob and then run back in. And I, I probably got the, the equivalent of like $2 an hour for that. Mm. Um, and then probably within a year or so, I got my first legitimate job. And I think I was, I want to say 13. I tell that to my kids all the time. So it's like, hey, guys better get started. <laughs> then he started early. And I, I was a paper boy. And it was actually before I started journalism. Mm-hmm. I have two degrees in journalism. I started being a journalist probably about two two years after that, around the time I was 15. So I've been a journalist for a long time. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, and again, we were in Michigan and I started probably, I have a fall birthday. So I think it was around around, uh, my birthday, around the time school started. And uh, yeah, within a month or two, uh, it was snowing. Yeah. And the key thing here, which I'm so glad you asked this, is from the first job, again, with, with the security company, I learned that that's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I better get my stuff together. Because I was one of those um, kids where I, I learned to read when I was like three and I always knew I wanted to be a writer and I would ask like really intense questions. However I am now, that's how I've always been. And since, you know, since birth, according to my parents. And the problem is that when you get to, when you think like I do, and you get to like middle school, it's not that you think you're smarter. You just don't realize how this actually applies to the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hopping in, in out of this truck, you know, and putting out flyers. And then after doing that, and I think it was in the, in the summer. So in the hot summer, Michigan sun for, you know, I don't know, five hours. And I got enough money to, you know, maybe get a McDonald's burger and, and some fries. I was like, hmm. Is this, is this where things are going? Like, <laughs> so I tend to be future oriented. So I'm like, I can see where this is going to go. So we're not going to do that. And then as far as being a paper boy, it was interesting because, you know, being a cute little 14 year old kid, it was my job to collect the money. And there's a, um, a classic movie called Better Off Dead. It's a comedy that came out, I want to say in 87, 88. Used to come on uh, Cinemax or HBO all the time. So that's, I've seen it like millions of times when I was a kid. And there's this ongoing joke. Uh, the the main character is played by um, John Cusack. And it's one of those forgotten movies, but worth checking out. It's corny and it's silly and it's hilarious. But it's this guy, John Cusack, who's working at a resort, kicks a, a ski resort. And he left for the ski resort before he ended up paying this paper boy who's kind of a bully. And uh, the paperboy ends up following following him to the ski slopes. And one of the last scenes in the movie is this guy yelling as he's going down the Black Diamond. This little kid's probably around the age I was. He's like, I want my $2. And then you see him like fall off the edge. I, I had to be that guy. And so there were like senior citizens that were that were on my patrol, for lack of a better term. There are folks that they see me coming up the driveway and they turn off the lights. 
No, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Like this was many decades ago. Like you and right. I are around the same age. This is a while and a, ago. And right? a newspaper it doesn't like, cost that much money. No. And they, and they had the deals. You know, you think <laughs> the deals now are good where it's like, we'll give you a newspaper free if you buy the digital. Like deals were crazy at the time. And so it's like, yeah, if you buy the Sunday paper, which might have been with inflation at the time, it was probably like a dollar. You buy the Sunday paper and then you get the rest of the week free. So, you know, you'd have these little, uh, I could still physically see them, these little tabs. And it was a little tab that you would give them like a receipt, little tiny tabs about the size of my thumb at the time. And you give them the receipt and say, okay, you already paid for this week. You're good. And then there were some folks where I had like a whole pad where they were like a month behind, two months behind. And so it really <laughs> taught me to. So you're like a I, debt collector run, for the newspaper company. Exactly right, because they weren't doing it. They they had us doing the grunt work, you know. And I'm so I'm I'm going through the snow and all this stuff. And Michigan has some heavy snow, and so I'm going through the snow, walking, biking if I can, carrying these heavy papers. You know, waking up at a five in the morning, and I was not a morning person, and putting the newspapers together myself. They drop it off in front. You have to put them together. Have the smelly ink and all that stuff. That's really the collecting part. And, and now I run about three different businesses and one of them is my coaching practice. One of them is based on my uh, books that I've coming out again, including the, the newest one. And that's my, my publishing. And then of course I have my freelance work that I do for Playboy, the New York Post, Inc. Magazine, a lot of those guys. And all three of those, even though some are more passive than other, others require talking about money. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of people that I, that I coach my business coaching, that's one of their struggles is yeah. to say, well, I don't know, not as much when people owe them, but more like knowing their worth so that they can actually set the price. When I was doing the, the, um, the paperboy routes, like I wasn't, and I had, I don't know, maybe 200 houses. I don't, I didn't have to set the price. Yeah. When you're on your own and, and you understand this, Rini, like, like no one tells you, oh, okay, your book should be, your, your book should cost this much if you have your own publishing and print like I do, or as in your case, as you, you've done the independent publishing, no one's going to say, okay, your coaching practice is worth this much to the people that you want to serve. Like, like no one pulls you aside. So it really gave me insight decades later, insight into the psychology behind it. And I had to stand up for myself and be like, no, like you enjoy the Sunday funnies, right? You read your horoscope and all that good stuff. Like I'm the one that delivers that to you. And so this, there, there means this is part of the relationship. This is part of me establishing my worth as a young teenager. It's like, no, no, for real. Like this is, and it's not cool to, of course, it's not cool to, to jerk off a kid either. It's like, I'm literally, I'm trying to save up money so I can buy a Nintendo game and maybe buy some shoes. Like, like, why would you dodge me out, you know, on a cold winter's day? But we do the same thing to ourselves sometimes when we're doing our work, we're pricing our work, you know, and you're just like myself, Srini, where you've done like special courses. No one tells you how much an online course should cost. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, you've done speaking and I'm a regular public speaker. Like no one says, oh, you should charge X amount of dollars based on the budget of such and such. And because they're going to bring in this much income based on you keynoting a conference, like there's not a lot of conversations like that. And so as a business coach and, and hopefully you know, um, a degree away from it with the complete bring your worth collection, really have that discussion to be like, all right, 
we need to know and res- we need to recognize how much we're worth. And then we also need to find the bravery to say, no, this is how much I actually am worth and to follow through with that. But that energy has to come through within. If, if we keep waiting for permission or waiting for someone to say, oh, back to the old analogy, it's like, oh, Damon, I'm glad you're here. Here's your $20 for the last, you know, last month of, of newspapers I've read. Like those kind of instances are very rare. Mm-hmm. What you needed to go do is say, no, actually, this is how much I'm worth. This is what we negotiated and agreed upon. And if this doesn't fit what your needs are, what your resources are, then you don't have to get the newspaper anymore. And I feel like that's... <laughs> I'm originally from New Jersey, so I can be very blunt about it, but it's like, that's... <laughs> New Jersey's coming out. But it's like, but that's... Is, is that not true? Like, that's that's what it is. Like, so... <laughs> So having that discussion, having the idea of the bravery and not even the bravery, the fortitude to say, no, this is, I'm going to stand my ground on this. This is, this is what it is. This is what we agreed upon. This is what the price is. But one of the things yeah. I, I, um, I, I often talk to my uh, coaching clients about is that actually I don't have sales uh, for any of my products. I rarely do. And that includes my coaching. And that's because I know that my coaching is worth a certain amount. And the people that can't or won't coach with me yet, and a lot of instances, they'll be like, you know what? I can't quite afford to work with you yet, but I really want to. I'll come back when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being a kind of filter, at least in my case, because the charges that I have for my coaching and as of this recording, it's three sessions or six sessions. It's all available at DamonBrown.net. I'm very transparent with it. That pricing reflects someone who has a steady income or has already established your business a little bit and wants to take things to the next level. Yeah. If you're trying to get by based on the money that you have coming in with the work that you do, then I'm probably not the coach for you. Yeah. So that becomes, again, that becomes part of the filtering. Because when I, early on, when I had started coaching about a decade or so ago, it was like folks I would talk with, but then realize that I'm not the right coach for them or they're not the right you know client for me. And so when you're able to stand into, again, that's why, my publishing company is called Bring Your Worth. It's like, we're able to stand in your worth. Then suddenly that filtering starts. And I remember having some, you know, confrontations with folks that weren't paying me on the newspaper routes. And they end up dropping the newspaper. And I, and I had talked to the, to the journal and be like, yo, they, they haven't paid in three months. Like, are you, I don't think they're going to come back. You know what I mean? They're not paying now. Like, I don't think we really lost the customer. But yeah. luckily, when I started my business, it's much later than I was able to apply that. And then ideally, given some game, you know, in the books and, and the speaking that I do to help other people with that, too. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new custom spray five in one gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is such an interesting conversation, particularly with creatives. Creatives, I think, are notorious for undercharging. I mean, I, I myself yes. have been there. Um, it reminds me of, of two things that I, I came across. One was an interview I had with Samantha Bennett, and I remember her distinctly saying, and this was the one thing that stayed with me from that interview. She said, you are always getting paid, and, and it's just a matter of what currency you're getting paid in. And she said, if you mm. ask people for likes on Facebook, that's what you'll get paid in. You ask people for money, you'll get paid money. And I'm like, okay, good point. Um, and then there was, I remember Dan Kennedy's copywriting uh, seminar, one of his, his videos on YouTube, I think it's his like, um, you know, like wealth attraction seminar or whatever, no BS wealth attraction. And he talked about how he would go to clients and when he would work with them, he would say, okay, um, we're going to increase your prices by 200%. And people would freak out. And of course, Kennedy being the, the smart guy that he is, he also you know, works in, you know, a percentage of those revenues to make sure he gets paid in addition. And what would happen is people would actually buy at those substantially higher prices and his clients would just be stunned. 
Um, and I've seen this, you know, with people as well. Like it, it's one of those things, but I think that the bigger question is like, one is really knowing how to quantify your worth because I, I do think there is something to be said for, to your point, some game or some street cred, right? Like at this point, I read a, a client who came to me and said, you know, will you coach me on book marketing? And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I haven't written any books. Well, I have written a book that became a bestseller, said, but I'm like, I can't guarantee a result. And the funniest thing about that whole experience is I was like, I told him, I was like, I don't give a shit about your emotional problems. I don't want to hear about your cat dying. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. If you're okay with this no BS approach, then um, we're good. And he ended up hiring me. And I was like, okay, I guess that's the only way I should do coaching. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, I mean, well, I some mean, people come to me and like, be, right, because that was going to be what, what he was going to get anyway, once he yeah. paid you. Well, right. that's the thing, right? So I found that I was like, okay, some people like just want to like, you know, talk therapy. And I'm like, I'm not a therapist or a life coach. You need somebody else for that. Um, but I remember at a certain point, like people would ask me for podcasting advice and, you know, the whole, can I pick your brain? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to charge you for this. Cause honestly, like, and I realized what I am charging for is 10 years of work that I have done and 13 years of knowledge that I've accumulated that you don't have that I can basically speed up this process for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so talking about sort of talking to like one, figuring out what your worth is, uh, because I think that that's where a lot of people tend to discount themselves. They forget that they have all these skills. Um, but then, you know, more importantly, like having the, the guts to actually say, yeah, this is what it costs. Take it or leave it. No, that's, no, that, that's, that's a really good, really good, two really good questions. I think the first part of it is. And you've probably heard this before, and it's a great simple system is to find out what people are asking for. Mm-hmm. What are you considered the expert on? What, what do people come to come to you for? Um, over the years, um, people come to me if they need to talk about something. So I recognize that I'm a decent listener. Um, and ideally not, not judgmental in a way that, that it hurts other people's feelings or prevents them from, from wanting to share. Um, another thing is how to balance everything. And that was something I learned when I did my two startups and I had my little guy at home being a stay at home dad and me juggling all those different things. And I realized people didn't really care about the startups that I built, even the one that I sold, they cared about how I did it. And so my ability to prioritize things really quickly. And be like, okay, you know, my little guy's four months old. Let me, let me make sure he doesn't like, you know, crawl outside and then start going down the street like some cartoon or something. It's like, okay, he's a priority and I'm going to go and build my startup. I'm going to have success with this, but it's not my main priority in my life. And mm-hmm. so just having that North Star, I've been decent about that. And so that kind of got me into coaching. And so just really figuring out why people come to you, why people lean on you. It's not that you have to monetize that, but it's part of your toolbox. That's a natural part of me as far as understanding what my priorities are. I've always had that strength. And so it's like, okay, that's part of my strength. So if I'm helping other people discover their priorities, find their particular balance, for lack of a better term, even in times where it doesn't seem to be balanced, then that worth is a lot higher than me helping someone say, monetize their business, which I do help people with that with my business coaching. But, you know, to your point, like you're a different coach or consultant than I am. So some people have called me a life coach, even though I don't call myself that. 
But inevitably, with if someone's saying, hey, I'm making this amount of money and I want to go to this next level, and for some reason I can't get there, they'll come to me and we'll find out there's a psychological or an emotional block there. Mm-hmm. So for me, it, it has to get a little bit messy. That's yeah. why people kind of come to me. They're like, I, I, I want to go forward with my career, but I, I just can't seem to do it. Mm-hmm. And my, my core belief is that everyone can move on to the next level. You just have to move those certain roadblocks that are in your way. Yeah. And so for me, I'm like, you know, I'm the construction guy. I'm coming in with the, the bulldozer and then, you know, or whatever, maybe something a little bit more gentle. And we're going to get these rocks out of the way. So I'd say, number one, figuring out why people come to you and what people lean on you for, even in an unofficial capacity. Mm-hmm. There might be, um, I have certain friends where if I need backup or some shit's about to go down, I will absolutely call them. Yeah. That's an asset, right? <laughs> Not for me, but for them, where it's like, oh no, when the shit hits the fan, this is a person to talk to. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has that ability. So I'd say one, understanding what those qualities are, what I call your toolbox in my books, yeah. whatever your toolbox is. I think the second part is realizing that no one's going to come and save you. No one's going to tell you what your worth is. Nobody. If you're lucky, you have some parents or some elders, you know, that will, that will remind you or tell you about your worth. And that becomes your foundation. But no one's going to tell you, Hey, your, your, your stuff is underpriced. No one's going to tell you that. Mm-hmm. You need to establish that. Yeah. And I already kind of hinted at it before. If people are interested in working with you, then they will find or work with the appropriate resources to make work with your priority. Mm-hmm. And for my coaching practice, sometimes I have a whole bunch of coaching clients and sometimes I don't have that many. I have a smaller stable. But everyone involved Number one, wants to be involved. Number two, the people that are coming through actually have skin in the game. Yeah. Because that's reflective of my price as well. Mm -hmm. One of the best things I heard um, from fellow coaches when I was getting into the game is that you can't want something more than your client wants it. Yeah. That prevents it. I know you've been there before. So it's like that, that prevents that from happening. Where it's like, I'm invested in you shining. That's, that's why I do this work. Like if I didn't care, I wouldn't be doing this work. You know, the money's good, but that's not why I do this work. So I'm already invested in having as many people shine as possible. Mm-hmm. But not everybody's interested in fully shining. And that could be because of their psychological block with it. That could be because secretly they don't feel like they're going to to, uh, they're afraid of that success. They think they're going to fail after that fact. Um, some folks actually want to shine for reasons that aren't as stable. Like they might want to show to someone else how great they are. And it often doesn't work out well. I found in the coaching practice and even in my own life. Mm-hmm. And so their motives might be a little bit questionable. And all those things start to come up when you set the right price. One of the best pieces of advice I got and I have a keynote where I, um, I shared it with you earlier, Srini, offline. I did yeah. a keynote at the American Society of Journalists and Authors. And I was talking about um, future-proofing your career and talking about AI and things of that nature since I also come from a tech background. 
And it's all available at Damon Brown, um, at, uh, uh bringyourworth.tv, my, my regular show. And I had talked about when I was up for a, um, a high level position, pretty much a C-suite position or close to it, at least out of the blue through a head, headhunter. And we ended up having a big discussion about things and they were offering me a lot of money. And I actually asked for more. <laughs> and what the, uh, my would be boss said to me was that we're happy to go ahead and try to pay you more for this. But the expectation of our culture is that whatever we pay our employees or our staff every year, they need to 10 X that kind of revenue back into the company. So if they give you a hundred thousand dollars, you need to bring in a mill. If they give you 200,000, two mil, et cetera, et cetera. And that stopped me in my tracks. I kind of chilled out on the salary discussion because I didn't yeah. nap really quickly. But it was that thing of like, like that was years ago and we end up not working together. We're still cool with it and I'm not working out. But I took that with me and I'm like, no, 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 no. That's it. That's it. So from the new book through my self-publishing uh, company, Bring Your Worth, you know, the complete Bring Your Worth collection to my coaching practice, um, to when I do keynotes, I have that energy where I'm like, all right, if I'm going to charge you $10,000 for a keynote, there's going to be $100,000 worth of game and insight that's going to be brought in directly through the, the company, you know, the, yeah. like the, the, um, the organization that, that's hosting me and or, you know, the people that are in the audience. Like if you price it that way, then a lot of that shyness goes away because then maybe your keynote isn't worth $10,000. Maybe it's worth $500 and that's okay. That's okay. But having that level of honesty allows you to be very direct with the people that you're trying to serve. It's funny because I, I remember when I first started doing keynotes and, you know, I've getting paid five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 a talk. And uh, one of my friends, she said, you know, I'd be so scared, like thinking, God, I'm getting paid $5,000. I hope I don't screw this up. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm not thinking that. Usually when I get on stage, I'm thinking I'm getting paid $5,000 because I'm fucking awesome at this. <laughs> you know, that's, and I told her, it's like, that's just the mindset you have to have. Like I learned that from uh, a band director of all people when I was, you know, auditioning for all region band in Texas. And I remember thinking these kids were making all state band. I'm like, these guys are such like, in a way I thought they were arrogant. And I remember the band director told me, yeah, there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence. He said, but just so you know, every kid who makes all state band believes he deserves to be there. Like that, mm. that's just their mindset. They have this attitude that they, they know they're good. They don't question it. Um, and that I, I realized in certain areas of life, like it, it, it does become invaluable because you show up with swagger. I think is, is really what it is. Absolutely. Swagger, um, confidence. And most importantly, this is this is key to the stuff you're talking about and stuff I'm talking about too. You recognize what you're not. Yeah. And um, and I might have talked about this on a previous episode. And but I like I'm never gonna be Gary V. Yeah. Like I don't have that kind of energy. Like just look at him for two minutes. No offense to him. Just look at him for two minutes just tires me out. You know what I mean? I love the work mm -hmm. that he does, He's, but I'm like, I can never be him. Um my energy is closer to a Seth Godin which is why mm -hmm. I consider him like a mentor. But but there's certain certain individuals. I'm never going to be Tony Robbins. As dynamic as I am, and you know, as we're doing this podcast, my hands are flailing all over the place, but I'm never going to be Tony Robbins. And so 
it's not just saying, you know, I'm the shit, which you should feel that way, especially as you establish yourself. Of course, you should have that, that energy. It's also saying, I'm not that shit. I'm, I'm not that over there. Yeah. I'm, I'm never going to be that. I'm never going to be, um, cause I've, I've had the Bria Worth TV for the, uh, it's going on the three year anniversary. So it's been uh, since December of 2020. And I look at the Casey Neistats and of course the Mr. Beast and so forth that are also on YouTube and other platforms. And I'm like, I'm never going to be them, mm-hmm. but I'm absolutely going to be the ab- absolute hundred percent best statement. And I don't mean that in a snowflake way. I mean that in like, no, like I'm a badass and I'm going to be a badass in my own way. And that kind of bravado, that kind of energy means that you're accepting who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that energy comes from. That's why I can charge the prices I charge. I'm like, yeah, that's how much it costs because you're not going to get another Damon. And I know what my assets are so strong that a Gary V or um, a Tony Robbins or a Brian Tracy, shout out to all of them. Like they, they couldn't come in the room and command it in the same way I do. They just couldn't and vice versa. But the thing is, I don't want to be like them. I want to be the best me. And that in itself makes my career bulletproof. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. I mean, I think that that like knowing what you're not is really one of those things like that was a process of discovery for me. So like for a brief moment, I coached a few writers on writing books and I was like, I absolutely fucking hate this. Like I have to read writing that I can't stand reading. Um, I'm like, wait, wait, yeah. what, what did you hate the most about it? I'm curious about this. Yeah. Well, one, it was just, I'm like, I'm not an editor and I'm like, okay, I don't want to be sitting around editing people's writing. And the other thing is that I learned how to give feedback from a woman who doesn't sugarcoat a damn thing. Like the woman who did my, uh, who was my writing coach on my books that I wrote with Penguin. She right. was, sure. a, she had edited books for Seth Godin and she told right. me right when I met her, she's like, I'm going to be hard on you. And I, the funny thing is in two books, the best, closest thing I got to a compliment was good. Um, and it was literally every day you'd see like the comments in the Google doc. It was like lazy, try again. Um, but I, that's why I hired her. And it took me a month to stop taking her feedback personally. Like I, I kind of would just be a bit jarred. And then eventually I realized I'm like, she's, I was learning to separate the criticism on the work. And I realized I was like, I don't know how to sugarcoat. And people, there are a lot of people who want somebody who tells them what they want to hear. I'm like, I'll tell you what you need to hear. Um, but that's, you know, it, I, I, I talked about this. I, I just finished writing this blog post about what I call the paradox of receptive resistance, which is like, you know, mm -hmm. you're most closed off to feedback when you're young because your ego is too fragile and that's often when you need it the most. Um, and sometimes that feedback is harsh. It's not pleasant to hear. Like, I, I, I think that in my mind, like a good mentor doesn't like, you know, blow sunshine up your ass. They'll call you on your bullshit. Um, as I've found with my, my most effective mentors and in the moment, it feels terrible. But in the long run, that very thing that feels terrible ends up being incredibly beneficial to you. Um, yeah. But and, and, and again, I like I discovered yeah. that I'm not the life coach guy. I'm like, I'm the execution guy. You want to get shit done? Come to me. I'll tell you how to get it done quickly. But I don't want to hear about all your problems because I'm terrible at, at listening to them. Like I, I realized one of my friends is like, you would be a fucking horrible life coach. I'm like, I know that, which is why I'm not one. Which is why you're not a life coach. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and me being executioner, I could do that for lack of better term. That's an ama amazing loaded term there. Yeah. But to be, I could be an executioner for sure. Again, I got two degrees in journalism. I, I those folks that you interacted with, I'm familiar with it. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I, 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 I get it with that criticism, but I'm like, but that's not, that's not the sandbox I want to play in. You know, I want to play more in the murky waters. I want to, that's where I want to play. And so you know that and it's like, okay, well then. You know, if you want the execution and you got Shreedy. Yep. If you want to go ahead and go into the murky waters, you got me. You yeah. And it's funny because one of my friends like will watch me do things with AI. He's like, Jesus, he's like, you're like a savant with this stuff. And I'm like, he's like, you really got like, a, a client who hired me to, to help build her second brain amendment. She's like, you really are the AI whisperer. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you got to realize I'm drawing up on tens of thousands of pieces of knowledge. That was the 
one huge insight I had was that the, the existing knowledge I had was the biggest asset that I could bring um, into AI. So I think that makes a, a perfect transition to what I want to talk about next. But I, I want to get there by going back to the beginning of our conversation. You worked yeah. for a paper. You, your journalism career kind of sort of predates the digital era. Um, oh, and of gosh. course, you, you're, you're being generous. Yes, well, absolutely. Well, the, the funny thing is, like, I, I remember um, I had this the guy, Tobias Rose Stockwell, we were talking about sort of the disappearance of local newspapers and community newspapers yeah. and sort of what yeah. the impact of that has been on society at large. Like, as somebody who has spent such a long time in a journalism career, um, what, are, what are the negatives and positives of the fact that we no longer have, like, say, a print newspaper? Like, how has that affected things like misinformation um, and just, you know, having a society that is is sort of like civil and, and, you know, like upstanding citizens. Like, how does that affect our duties as citizens when we don't have something as small as a community paper? Because I can tell yeah. you this, like, it, I remember I was trying to think when we were having, I was having that conversation about the uh, newspaper in Riverside. I was like, I don't even remember the damn name. And then I was like, oh yeah, it's the Press Enterprise. And I didn't even think I've seen an issue of the Press Enterprise in probably the last 20 years. Right. So as I mentioned, like I'm originally from the East Coast. So we had the Philadelphia Inquirer and then um, the one that I worked for when I had my teenage years in, in mid-Michigan. That was the Lansing State Journal. Lansing's the capital of Michigan. Most people think it's Detroit. So I have to throw that in there. And, and I, I think it's it's too, there's an immediate response and there's a long-term issue with what you just asked. Um, it's a great question, but I mean, just kind of the answer to those questions. Um, the short term immediate thing is like, yeah, there's a lot of misinformation. Um, like with, um, the, unfortunately with the recent shootings that have happened here in America, um, or when there's like, um, an abuse issue, which unfortunately happened over at MSU, which it wasn't too far from where I grew up and other things. The, the local newspaper, is really the 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 torchbearer of that information because no one's going to care about as much as what's happening. Let's look at the Flint water crisis, which just had its decade anniversary. No one's going to care about that as much as the Flint Journal. You know, mm-hmm. I know some folks over there from way back. No one's going to care about it as much as that. Everyone cares about the Flint water, but that's because it got onto social media and all these other things. No one's going to care about it as much as as Flint. And Genesee and other areas that are that are uh, around there in uh, near Mid Michigan. So you have that misinformation and what we call in the journalism world we call it parachuting or parachute reporting. Mm-hmm. So when something happens in Texas, then suddenly you have a um, I'm based in Las Vegas now, but you have like a, a Yankee like me or whatever coming in, you know, on the first thing smoking as I used to say coming in on the train or flying in and then suddenly I'm trying to understand you know what's happening at uh Uvadale or whatever like suddenly I'm trying to understand this whole thing I'm there for the weekend I try the local food I get my I you know I I submit my report my article whatever get the drafts in make sure it's good with my editor and then I fly back home and I'm never coming back again unless there's an anniversary of whatever happened in Texas that's called parachute reporting so we're seeing way more of that. The long-term effects, though, which I've noticed over the years, and Trini, you know, I've lived all across the country. And what I notice over time, particularly after I had a family and 
and um, started to want to establish roots more, you know, you become a little bit more sensitive to that kind of thing, was that we didn't have a water cooler anymore. And when we talk about water coolers and, of course, old school, the water cooler moment are those things where back when you were in a traditional office up until the 90s, there was a water cooler and you go up there, get the water so you get some refreshment when you're taking a little break. You run into a coworker or a couple coworkers who are over there and you guys might talk about, you know, what was on Seinfeld last night or what was on Hell Street Blues. If you want to go back to the 80s or whatever, like you have those conversations. So when people say water cooler moments, of course, in Trini, you know this, like, you know, this, you know, it's, it's like we don't have these water cooler moments anymore. That's because there's a level of fragmentation. So I might watch WandaVision. I just watched WandaVision, uh, the Marvel series, about a month ago. I had friends that watched it when it first came out at the top of the year or a year ago. So there's a certain um, asynchronous energy that's happening now. And not to get too inside baseball, the one last detail I'll say with this is that newspapers were very much local. They were concentrated. And they were also on a cycle. For the daily newspapers that I worked at, always through young adulthood, you know, beginning again as a teenager, we had to finish up our final story by nine, ten o'clock that night. And if it was really late, we'd have to physically drive it over to the printer, which is about an hour outside of wherever the newspaper was, physically give them the galleys because those were four things went digital physically give them the pace steps of it. And then three in the morning, they would come off because the presses were run all night. And then the appropriate delivery people would come bring it. And then we'd pass it out. And of course, I was a newspaper board before, so I understood the whole system. We don't have that anymore. We don't have that cycle. We don't have the, you know, the morning paper that, you know, that hits the doorstep and, you know, the proverbial dad or mom is yawning, you know, in their robe and grabbing and drinking their first cup of coffee. We don't have that thing anymore. And so then when we're interacting with our neighbors, you might be checking out CNN and salon.com. Your neighbor might be watching Fox News. Your other neighbor might be watching the Joe Rogan podcast, and that's where they get all their news. So we also are long-term losing the bonded experience because we're not all in the same world. Yeah. And that can be said for all of media. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Again, Seth Godin has talked about this, where it's all, all about niches. The 18,000 or, or so people that subscribe to Bring Your Worth TV, they're into what I talk about, a couple of guests that I've had on over the years, and the stuff I talk about as far as being a business coach and a public speaker. People that watch or listen to this podcast are into that particular thing that you've created with this community. What we're missing, though, is some type of unified thing, and that makes it harder for us to have the same lingo, the same uh, semantics, the same POV even the sympathy and empathy for other discussions to happen. And even as far as speaking of the podcast world, we think of like, there's so many things where it's like, oh, you know what? He's the kind of guy that listens to Joe Rogan. And that brings up this archetype. And I'm not the biggest Joe Rogan fan. There's some amazing things that have been talked about on the show. So do I fit into that category? Or do I fit into a different category? And so it's almost like a, almost like we have our own little fiefdoms, almost like sports teams that we're willing to die on those hills. 
And when there was more local news and local news publications, more specifically, then it was like, no, actually, we represent Lansing. We represent Toledo. We represent Detroit. We represent Riverside. And that in itself adds to the unity of the discussion. You can get me on a rant talking about this all day. I'm going to, I'm going to stop right there, but <laughs> it's an amazing topic to me. Well, I think that the, a lot of what you talked about is sort of reflective of where we're headed. And I think it would be hard to talk about sort of future proofing your career without talking about the role of AI, particularly when it comes to creative work. And, you know, I think there are a lot of creatives who see this as a huge threat. I personally see it as a gigantic opportunity. I mean, I was able to get rid of a $400 a month design service um, because I could do with AI what they were charging us $400 a month for. And we'd been paying for that for years. Um, and I never thought I could cancel it. In a matter of minutes, I had to become the process to replicate that for me so I could do it in my own in 10 seconds. Um, but I think that that, you know, being a specific example is reflective of a, a much sort of larger theme. And personally, I think this is inevitable. I think that people who are resisting this are kind of going to be, you know, they're going to get a rude awakening. But like, I want to hear your take on it from having come from this journalism background, having seen us through the transition from analog to digital. Uh, and now you combine fragmentation of the media landscape and layer AI on top of that. So what are the implications of, of that for our careers? Yeah, I, I think, I think you're onto something. And I think the implication is that we're going to have to do things simply that technology or AI cannot do. And that's something that's actually it's, it, it ties, at least it ties a bow on it in my mind. As far as the thread that we started when you talked about my first real job is that we have to know what we're actually bringing to the table that's beyond just technology. No offense to technology. I've done my startups. I'm minored in computer science. There's nothing wrong with AI or technology. My point is that just like I can't be the same as a Gary V or a Tony Robbins, AI can't necessarily do the exact same thing that I do. And so the, the closer that we get and the deeper we get into what our actually actual worth is and what we're able to do in a certain way that's unique, the stronger we'll actually be able to not only future-proof our careers, but also we'll be able to confidently partner with technology. On uh, Bring Your Worth TV, about a year ago, I took my first business book, The Bite Size Entrepreneur, and I worked with MidJourney, which is a AI tool that if you put in a certain prompt, as they call it, it's a certain description, then it will create four or more images based on your description. It's gotten really fast now. It, it can do it within like 10 seconds. And then you can modify it, you can use it and so forth. I use MidJourney to actually illustrate my unillustrated book, The Bites Entrepreneur. I took the audio book from The Bites Entrepreneur, put it onto uh, Bring Yours TV, then add the visuals. So it's almost like a semi-animated illustrated guide to my first best-selling business book. So that brought it to, again, I have about 18,000 subscribers right now. So it brought it to them. And the book came out in 2016. In fact, it's the first book featured in the complete Bring Your Worth collection, just coming out now. So it came out in 2016. So a lot of people that rock with me now weren't around at the time. In some cases, they weren't even <laughs> like, 
they might have been in high school, you know, when the book came out, so they might have missed that whole thing. So I'm, I'm introducing it to a new audience, but I'm using technology to do so. And with my two degrees in journalism, my newspaper background, being a paper boy, all these other things, I'm confident in how I create and the value of what I create. And so that, again, future-proofs my career because I know exactly what my purpose is. Mm. Then that also makes me confident enough to work with technology so I'm not worried about it taking over what I do. And I think a lot of creatives, which I think you're kind of hinting at, a lot of creatives, it's not even a matter of just saying technology is going to, or AI, it's always some technology. Let's just say AI, AI right now. AI is going to take over my career and I'm not going to have a way to make a business. But then it's also the second part of it is they're so shell-shocked and afraid that the ways that technology could make them a more effective creative, they're afraid to do. And that second part is really where the damage is going to occur. It's not going to be AI is going to take over your job. It's going to be, I'm so afraid, I'm not going to use any technology. That's, so it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to make yourself extinct. And so that's why, that's one of the reasons why I took the step and said, you know what? Let me learn more about AI. I'm not a big chat GPT guy. It's never been quite my thing, but the illustrated stuff, I did a keynote recent, recently for the American Society of Journalists and Authors. It's available at Bringing Worth TV for free. You can check it out there. And I really, I used to be on the board there. It's one of the two major journals organizations in, in North America. So I was on the board for several years. And it, and me doing, I talked about this during the keynote over this past summer, me doing the illustrated uh, Bites as Entrepreneur. It wasn't just, Hey, Damon's going to take his bestseller from almost 10 years ago, refresh it, and then try to make more money on it. It wasn't mm-hmm. that. It was that this is a guy that old school newspaper guy, masters in magazine publishing from at the time, the number one journal school in the, in the country, Northwestern, writing for Playboy and all these things, been a freelancer for, I'm not even going to say how many years. And he's taking his IP, which I own, flipping it, and showing how you can take your creative, creative brain, to use your term, your creative brain, and then use technology to augment it. Because you don't want to see me draw. I, I couldn't, <laughs> illust- I, I couldn't illustrate a sick man. You know what I mean? I have real artists like painters and, 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 and graphic artists in my family. I know what real drawing is. I'm not that guy. Speaking of knowing what you're not, but I can write my ass off. And I'm a darn good speaker. So take those assets and this equivalent of me hiring an illustrator. Mm-hmm. And suddenly this book, again, that I know like the back of my hand, you know, it's, just, it's been seven, eight years and <laughs> all these keynotes around it. I'm suddenly looking at it from a different light because of, of the illustrations that in this case, Mid Journey made for me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what I really meant. I never, I, I, I made that line in 2015, 2016, but wow, this looks different. So it's not only the objectivity of time. Again, the book is seven, eight years old, but it's also the objectivity of technology. And that's what we, as creatives, again, I've been on, I'm, I'm like that guy that's right in between. You know, I'm in the technology and I'm in the communication. 
And I, those of us who are of my age group, I'm middle-aged now, so those of us that are my age group and older who aren't using some type of technology will absolutely get left behind. But I think, again, the reason why a lot of us are not adapting to that is because we're afraid we're going to be replaced. Mm-hmm. So we're actually creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's why, like, I was so proud to do the keynote to my people, especially the journalists out there, to be like, look, you know, you can use some of this technology. It's not going to take over your brain, I promise. And there actually might be some cool stuff. And reminding folks, as you as you would hear during the keynote, reminding folks that we felt this way about social media. We felt this way about the internet, which I remember when the World Wide Web was just starting out. We felt this way about a lot of things. And we didn't get our domain names. We didn't take advantage of social media when it was at its peak. Now it's on its fall. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But we were afraid to get on there now. Now I was just talking to, to um, an organization that's talking about, hey, let's really push what we're doing over at X now. And it's like, is that? No, nah, that's, I think that's done. Like you might, you might want to move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? But as creatives, whether it's in the um, the corporate field or, you know, independents like you and I, we get so afraid of that change and of being obsolete that we don't do anything. Yeah. And and that's really the worst thing you can do. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the, the two key things in there that I think you brought up, and this is something that, like, I emphasize. So, you know, I have my Maximize Your Output YouTube channel and I, I do... uh you know, occasionally men will have these webinars. And one of them recently was uh, the one that I did for them was about using their AI chat tool as a partner. And uh, the idea mm-hmm. of technology as a partner, right? And I, I think that when you start to look at AI as a partner rather than a tool, then it's pretty mind boggling what becomes possible. Like I'm literally doing things like writing a job description for somebody I'd want to hire, putting it into MEMS chat interface and saying, I want you to do this job. Tell me what information I need to have in MEM in order for you to play this role. So I basically built an entire content strategist model using my existing content. Um, but the other thing I, th- I think this speaks to, and you know, uh, some of my friends will watch me kind of work through it. I mean, you just saw what I was doing with your book. And I realized I was like, right, the only reason I can think of things like this is because of the fact that I have so much existing knowledge. And I, I think that that speaks volumes to the fact that acquiring knowledge still matters, even in the age of AI. Absolutely. In fact, it matters a lot more, I think, because, yeah, the fact that I have, you know, a thousand book notes, a thousand podcast transcripts, I have all these sort of reference, you know, points of reference that I can draw on and I can apply them. So like, for example, you know, I, I remember going through this exercise with Chat GPT, where it's like, I wrote a blog post and I was like, you know what? Apply Jonah Berger's principles from the book Contagious. And I was like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't read Contagious, I would have never thought to do that. That's right. Um, and these things I think are, are going to matter more and more. Like your ability to synthesize and really understand the knowledge that you consume so you can actually put it into action. I think when you combine those things with that, you know, with AI and starting to view AI as a partner rather than a tool, that I think just opens up sort of the floodgates. Like I talked about this idea before where I said, you know, the, the fundamental thing that AI does is it creates this massive power shift in economic distribution. Like it, it's mm. the fundamental change, the underlying economic principles of how we as a society operate. So like if you go back to Adam Smith and the Wealth of Nations, 
where he said division of labor maximizes your output. But labor has always been prohibitively expensive. Like only people with deep pockets would have access to labor. And what AI does is it takes the power of scalability and hands it to the masses. It puts it in the hands of the individual. And that is something that will have, in my mind, profound impacts on the underlying economic structures of society. I I couldn't agree more. And and that's the thing is that I've been independent for a very long time. Again, back to oh, at the top of the show, <laughs> it wasn't just a realization of this isn't the type of work I want to do. But also it's like, I also want to set my own pace. So me consulting for people, you know, me taking gigs and so forth, you know, like that, that's, that's a little bit closer to, uh, to me working with, with an organization versus working for an organization. And yeah. I've, I've had my conversations about that and on previous podcasts and stuff that, that we've talked about. But it's that thing of where I know this is part of my natural element. A lot of the people that I coach, in fact, nearly all the people I coach fall into that category too. So to quote Brene Brown or to paraphrase, we're all kind of in the arena. And as I talked about earlier, no one's coming to save us. So we're going to have to figure this shit out. Mm -hmm. And so I would recommend you make sure you have every, every quiver, you know, every quiver in your pack ready to make sure, you know, that toolbox is, is sharp, like, like everything. And me knowing, again, back to that example with the Bytes Entrepreneur Illustrated, me knowing I'm not an illustrator. I mean, I could take classes, but I don't, I don't want to, like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And also me employing it, like you said, as, as like a, rather than a, t- a tool, a partner, which I love that terminology. With using it as a partner or working with it as a partner, then there's certain things that it unlocks in me. Yep. And I found inspiration in that, even though, again, my book was seven, eight years old. And it's like, that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't open to that discussion. So I, I'd say, yes, use every tool that you have to your advantage. And you certainly should be aware of it. I'd say also, too, going back to, to your very first book, Srini, knowing when there's certain waves and you see something starting to bubble, you can almost sense it. If you wait until it starts to crest out, then you're not going to ride it. Instead, you have to go towards it and move towards it. So I'm a big pop culture guy, as you know. So I love seeing and feeling, not even seeing, but feeling those cultural waves. And funny story, I got my uh, master's in magazine publishing in uh, 2000. And when I got in, it's a year-long program at Northwestern. So when I got in 1999, that was the height of the dot-com. Go back to 99. And then by the time I graduated, I had um, one op- job offer fell through. Another one was, was rescinded because of the economic state. Uh, this is like August, September of 2000. And all my other graduates, again, the number one journalist school in the country at the time, we are all in the same position. I decided to stay independent, which I'm thankful for now. But a lot of them were kind of scrambling to figure out how they're going to pay their bills and, and who, who would let them into, into their respective places. Basically, as soon as I got my master's in magazine publishing, magazines started dying. 
And so I think the key thing here, even though I love magazines, obviously, you know, I spent a lot of time and money studying them and studying under some of the masters, I believe. I still had to say, all right, what's next? Well, the web is next. Okay, well, let's look into that. What's next? Okay, well, public speaking is next for me. Okay, let's look into that. What's next? Well, let me go and start doing startups. Let's, let's look into that. Like, like it's always that, it's not like that you always have to change. Um, but the core, the core of who you are, the foundation of who you are doesn't have to, have to, um, you don't have to forfeit that. And one last piece on the journalism front, particularly when I was again on the board of ASJA, that was the most difficult thing at that period of time was talking to our community, even talking to fellow journalists and leaders who were in media to say, you know what? You might be a newspaper guy, guy or gal, as I used to say back in the day, but that's not your identity. You could take it back to um, the Flintstones when they used to, you know, knock on, on, on rocks. And that was the, the daily rock hold or whatever the newspaper was in the, in the cartoon. You can take it to the future where people are work, looking on virtual tablets, which we're basically in the future now. You can take it to the future. Are you a storyteller? Are you reporting in your community? Are you representing your community? Are you representing the, the voices and the stories that, that haven't been told? Do you have an obligation to turn in a column? I used to be a columnist. So do you have an obligation to turn in a column every day? So it doesn't matter if it's you write it down and then someone says it out loud like an audio book or a podcast. It doesn't matter if it's written on stone or it's on a new thing called the iPad at the time. It doesn't matter. The medium doesn't matter. The message matters. And so often as creatives, we get it upside down. I'm a sculptor, so I only work with clay. Well, have you tried stone? Does that make not, not make you a sculptor? There are so many different ways that technology is moving the way that our mediums are getting across. And what I'm trying to do as a creative, as a speaker with the books and all that stuff is to help us creatives to say, you know, I'm not identified by the medium I work in. I can stay in that medium. I still write for newspapers sometimes. It's cool. But the amount of people I'm impacting now, imagine if I just stuck with local newspapers. And that's a future that I don't want to have for any of us where we're limited to our particular medium and not getting our message to the people that we want to serve. Well, I think that makes a beautiful place to wrap up our conversation. So I want to finish my last question, which, you know, it's always interesting to hear how people answer this when they come back multiple times. What do you think it is that makes somebody do something unmistakable? Oh, man, to be unmistakable. To be unmistakable is to know what you're not. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share sharing your story and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about everything that you're up to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Hub for Everything is damonbrown.net. You can learn about um, my previous conversations with Srini, but you can also get that, of course, on the, the podcast page, um, as well as with other folks. Um, access to all my books. I have my own publishing company, Bring Your Worth. So uh, nearly all the books that I've done over the past decade or so you also can get them hand signed from me, as well as some of the merchandising gear that I have. You know, I have to walk the walk if I'm going to be a business coach. Um, and then also, uh, if you want to learn more about my business coaching and so forth. And then uh, the second best place to catch me is at uh, Bring Your Worth TV. I have a show there currently every 
Wednesday and, um, excuse me, every Wednesday and Sunday at 1.11 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Las Vegas time. And the Wednesday shows are live. The Sunday shows are more traditional and edited. I welcome your questions and your comments. Hopefully getting some of that energy from the, from the coaching process over to y'all. Got about 18,000 people coming through at this point. So I'm so proud of the community that's been built over there. And lastly, you can get my free newsletter at joindamon.me. That's every Wednesday at 5.55 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it's just little nuggets and discussions and things that I'm into and really kind of a um, little bit more personal take as far as what I'm consuming. And if you're a fan of Srini's podcast, then I'm assuming you're into, into good content and uh, good books, even some music recommendations. And uh, yeah, my main thing is helping you as a side hustler, a solopreneur or a non-traditional entrepreneur and just proud to... Uh, Help you all get to the next level. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.